0: Well, it's awesome to have an opportunity to speak to you today. Um, You know, I've been on staff now for, I guess, almost two years coming up, I guess, this January, which is crazy to think about um, into the new year here. But uh, I just have to say, we have such an incredible staff here, don't we? We really do. Um, You know, we've been through a lot uh, from when COVID hit all the way through the summer seasons as we prepared to move into the building, to moving into the building uh, and getting set and getting ready to our grand opening to now. Um, I just I go home every day and I'm so thankful to work here and uh, we love our we love our staff here I love our staff my wife and I love our staff and uh, and we just love literally love working together it's a a joy to do that and so can we just thank our staff They, they put yeah it's awesome so good yeah, we love them. Um, if you're friends with me on social media at all, over the past little while, you may have noticed uh, that there's been a fairly large life event that's taken place. Uh, my wife and I recently introduced our brand new baby girl, Indy Love, uh, to the world, and uh, so I brought a picture of her. She's also here today, but I brought a picture of her to share because I'm pretty proud. This is our uh, just over one month old. She's given her, yes, made it, so... Mom and dad are doing the right things. (laughs) Um, So we love it. We're learning how to be parents and what that involves. and, And you know what, though? I have a bone to pick with some of you because you're not, all of you are not super honest when it comes to what it's like to be a parent, okay? Like, I I know that you've said things to us before about, oh, you'll get it when you're a parent, but, like, you could have grabbed me by the shoulders and said, you'll get it when you're a parent or sleep while you can or those kind of things, right? Like, they kind of just bounce off you before you have kids. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Then you have kids and you're like, wow, that's what they were talking about, right? Like, this is a huge life change. Um, You know, the sheer amount of diapers we go through, I've calculated out into our budget and I'm like, my gosh, like, this could go to university, like, you could take full education, you know, if you just, anyways, that's a whole thing. <laughs> um, the other thing that I've been thinking about is, uh, you know, at nighttime. Uh, at nighttime, um, regardless of, of what's going on in the room, uh, when Elise and I finally get to sleep, and baby's sleeping, and things are good, um, the smallest sound wakes me completely up, okay? Like, not partially, completely awake. Like, it's never like a like, oh, yeah, okay, she's fine, and I'll go back to bed. No, I'm completely awake. And there's also this necessity to wake Elise up and make sure she hears exactly what I'm hearing because, you know, just want to check in and make sure. And so we have this really good communication that sometimes go like, Tyler, she's fine, go back to sleep, right? Like, that's, that's it. But you guys need to be more honest with new parents, okay? <laughs> you need to grab them by the shoulders and say, there's things you're not going to know, there's things you're not going to understand, but it's going to be okay. And, we know, we, we still appreciate you guys. It's been awesome. And uh, it is a beautiful transformation that happens. It really is. And, and it's something that we're, we're really excited about, aren't we? I think so. Yeah, we do, we're we good. Yeah, we are. Yeah. So speaking of transformations, um, I, w- I was hired to take uh, wedding photos um, for a client probably about just over two years ago. And uh, this wedding sticks out in my mind because uh, uh, the groom really wanted to have live butterflies. The groom wanted to have live butterflies. <laughs> in lanterns at the wedding ceremony, okay? So um, if they're watching right now, um, I'm going to share the story. Um, So, you know, we met for coffee at Starbucks when you could actually meet in person at Starbucks and do that. Um, And we discussed what their wedding was going to look like. But this was a key um, part of the communication, the conversation that took place that, you know, we we did a list of like photos required, photos you'd like. Uh, And this was a very important photo to make sure, like a collection of photos that was a part of it. Um, to make sure that we grasped. And the, the groom was so intent on making sure that he had live butterflies, he looked into the cost of actually buying real butterflies. Did you know that it's extremely expensive to get real butterflies? It, it is actually really expensive. And, and so the more research he did, he came up with this brilliant idea, and he told his fiance, babe, I have a solution. I'll just grow my own. Okay? And she's like, you are not going to do that. He's like, I am going to do that. And it's going to be awesome because they're going to be my butterflies on our wedding day, okay? So he, he starts growing these butterflies. Now, the thing, I don't know if any of you have ever grown butterflies before or ever raised butterflies. Um, there's no guarantee on time. There's no guarantee on whether they'll turn out, right? Like <laughs> if you're going to have a bunch of survivors or not. And number three, they're all going to look somewhat different. So, you know, the, the more expensive option would have yielded a more consistent look if that's what he was going for. The homegrown option, he was left for a little bit more uh, variety. But it was good, and it turned out. And, uh, and he was so excited about it. They had the butterflies at their wedding, and, uh, and it was amazing. They made sure that I got photos of them. I looked everywhere to find a photo to show you, and I could not find it. So that's how important it was to me. Um, but it was, really, it was really good. It was really good. And, uh, you know, it made me think about the fact that the groom had a belief. The groom had a belief that although he couldn't necessarily see what was going on on the inside, he believed that something was happening internally. Okay, although there wasn't a lot happening on the outside and evidence wasn't extremely um, present that, you know, okay, yeah, these are going to be ready and done by my wedding date, he had a belief that there was something incredibly amazing, transformation that was happening on the inside. And, and this, this is often like what it's like for us, right? Change is like that. It, it takes seasons of growth, it takes time, and it takes the right conditions for it to happen. But you would agree with me that you have to be expectant to see the change. Right? You have to be expectant of the change to see it. Because even when you don't see physical signs, if you're not looking for them, you won't be able to identify that it's even happening. The thing that I love is that it wasn't about the butterfly doing anything on its own to promote the change. It was was about allowing the inner workings to take place, to change from the inside out into this beauty. So I've titled this message today, See the Evidence, as I believe that as a community and a nation and a world, that we are in a season of transformation. The evidence is all around us. I believe that something's happening that may not be extremely visible always, at all times, but the change is happening and it's occurring and going to make a lasting impact on the actual makeup of who you and I are. We can see Jesus revealed historically, which we'll discuss. We can see him revealed internally inside of us, but ultimately my challenge today is that we need to see Jesus revealed to the entire world. Let's pray together as we start. Father, we come to you today expectant of change. We come to you hopeful for the future. And God, we look at the things going around us, on around us, and it can be distracting. But God, we come to you and know that you're doing a great work on the inside. And that the transformation will be beautiful. So God, we trust you today and ask that you be with us this morning, we pray. Amen. So from living through a pandemic unprecedented job loss, political tensions, all of these things, we are eager for transformation. Would you agree with me? We're eager for transformation. And change can't come quick enough, right? I see this all of the time. On every social media feed, it's like, please, when will this end, right? Change cannot come fast enough. That being said, though, one thing that I've noticed is that although we desire change and we we desire transformation in our lives, there's still a key question that we're faced with. And that question comes back all the time to who am I? Who am I? Who am I supposed to be? Who does God want me to be? Why does he want me to do this? What does he want from my life? How do we discover who we are and know what God wants us to do? We've all asked questions like this in some way or another. Because the normal human struggle is to look for identity horizontally. Right? We look for identity horizontally. But we were actually never designed to develop our identity from the horizontal perspective. We were designed to actually soak up our identity from the vertical perspective, focused on God. We often look for something in creation to define who we are and even define the creator, whether that's our relationships, work, success, failures, whatever it is. Most times, we identify our identity through a collection of considerations on a day-to-day basis. So I believe some of you need to hear this today. We have to embrace the truth that our identity is found in who God says we are. A lot of people I know ask good questions. Like, how do I know the Bible's even real? Right? Was Jesus even real? How do you know? Right? How could you possibly know? And this is a really important question to address. And as I was preparing this message on identity, it's was, it was the biggest question we have when it comes to considering the person of Jesus. It's important that we answer this. So many of you will know the series called Alpha, where they answer some of life's biggest questions. And I love the way that they put it when they say this, that no serious historian would deny that the person of Jesus existed. Interesting. See, there's evidence outside the New Testament written by Roman historians, such as Tacitus and Suetonius, who wrote about Jesus. Then you add in the first century Jewish historian, Josephus, described him as Jesus, a doer of wonderful works. And then he goes on to describe his crucifixion and alleged resurrection. The evidence that Jesus even existed mostly comes from the New Testament, okay? Mostly comes from the New Testament. But a lot of people argue over time, well, what if it was written down wrong? What if it was misinterpreted throughout history? Things could have changed. Things could have changed. They could have put put their own words in. How could you possibly know? We know this through a science called textual criticism. And I could explain it, but I'm going to let Alpha do it because they do a way better job of it. So let's check out the screens right now.
1: Textual criticism examines the number of copies of early texts that we have available to us today. And it looks at the time gap between the original document and the earliest copy that we have. And basically, the more manuscripts we have and the earlier they are, the less doubt there's going to be about the original. So let's compare the Bible to other texts in ancient history, ones that are widely used in schools and universities. Let's look at the Greek historians Herodotus and Thucydides, they both wrote in the 5th century B.C. But the earliest copy of their writings that we have dates from A.D. 900, and that makes a 1300 year time lapse. And even then, we only have 8 copies of these manuscripts in the first place. Or look at the Roman historian Tacitus, there's a 1000 year gap between his book being written and our first manuscript, and we only have 20 copies. Or another classic, Caesar's Gallic War, 950 years between the book being written and our first manuscript copy. And even then, we only have nine or 10 copies of these manuscripts. Again, with Livy's famous history of Rome. A 900 year gap between the book being written and our first manuscript, and we only have 20 copies of this. But when it comes to the New Testament, well, it's very different. The New Testament was written between about 40 and 100 AD, and we have manuscript evidence going back as early as 130 AD, and full manuscripts by 350 AD. And we have more than 5,300 Greek manuscripts, 10,000 Latin translations, and 9,300 others. So, you know, we can be pretty confident in the accuracy, the authenticity, and the integrity of the New Testament Scriptures that have been passed down to us today. The remarkable thing about the Bible is there's such a short chronological distance between the events being described and our first manuscripts. So, in many ways, the Bible scholars are in a very fortunate position of being able to check these things out and finding that they are much more reliable than, for example, some of the alternatives you're looking at.
0: Wow, right? Incredible. Incredible that we can look to history to actually authenticate our beliefs in the fact that we can go and say, wow, this isn't actually just thoughts, or this isn't just made up, or this isn't just an idea that someone wrote down and it translated into a belief. This is something that goes back very, very far and even has a record of it from very, very soon after. So, interestingly enough, Jesus is revealed historically. Jesus is revealed historically. Not only has Jesus made his revelation historically, but as believers, we also can identify his his existence in a whole other way. And how is that? That's through our experience. That's through the relationship with Jesus, our Lord, right? That's with with knowing in the very depths of our being that he's real. That's with the experiences of his faithfulness, his goodness, and his grace. We don't need necessarily history to inform us of our belief sure awesome though, isn't it? I love that. There's a guy in the New Testament of the, of the Bible and his name is Paul. And Paul's story begins by a name, when his name was actually Saul. And he spent most of his life persecuting Jesus and Jesus' disciples, his early life. However, after conversion to Christianity, when he changed his name from Saul to Paul, Paul becomes an out- outspoken Christian and spends the rest of his life spreading the message of Jesus. In doing this, he writes many letters that have become books of the New Testament, and some of them you know very well, some you may not, but now we all know this as a starting point today, so it's another historical fact for you. In 2002, archaeologists found a large marble sarcophagus. This is in 2002, okay? It had these words written on it, Paolo Apostolo Mart, which means Paul, Apostle, Martyr. Using a probe and carbon dating, archaeologists estimated that the remains inside were from the first or second century. The Vatican claims that these are, in fact, the remains of St. Paul, the Apostle of the Gentiles. We read in Ephesians 4:1 in the NLT, it says this: Paul, he, Paul wrote this from a Roman uh, prison, probably around the year 61 .AD or so. And so it goes on like this: "Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you." Okay we need to look at that for a second. Paul's in prison. He could have said anything, but he starts off by saying who he is. Therefore I, prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you. Okay, he's pleading with us to listen to what he's about to say. With such intent, with such meaning behind it, he says this, to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. I plead with you, right, to live a life, this one life that you've been given, worthy of the calling that you have from our God. I love the words of Paul in 2 Timothy 1.9 when he says this, For God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan from before the beginning of time, to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. He's literally saying you and I were saved so that Christ Jesus would be revealed. As a result, God calls you to live a holy life to live in communion with him, set apart from the world, different than it, other than. Rather than defining yourself horizontally, we are called to define ourselves by looking vertically. This is the intention and purpose of revealing Jesus to you and I, that we would live in a new way, live a new life, completely committed to him. This is, this is by design. I, I came across this quote in my studies as well, that Christian identity is not defined in terms of who we are in and of ourselves. It's defined in terms of what God does to us and the relationship he creates with us and the destiny he appoints for us. God made us who we are so we could make known who we are? No, who he is. Our identity is for the sake of making known his identity. The the tension is this, okay? It's very easy to look to the world and God's work in it for signs that he exists. It's very easy. If God doesn't heal, does he even exist? Right? If God does heal, well, then he must exist. What if we took a step back from that and considered that we, that you and I, are actually walking miracles? That we are part of the plan. I mean, you and I were dead in our trespasses, in our sins, but God made you alive. God designed it that way. You you may not feel like a walking resurrection today, but church, you are. You are one. Whether you believe in him or not, he planned this from the beginning of time. Our life and all the things that make up who we are and the things we care about are not merely just exchanges, just gifts to us that he gives us, but actual acts of Christ. Furthermore, what I'm I'm actually only beginning to understand is that our love, joy, peace, and strength are actually not our own, but they're gifts. They're his love, his joy, his peace, his strength, the very love and peace and joy and strength of Christ himself. The life of Christ is in us and that that, that is the living Christ in us. So when we have died and our life is hidden with him, when Christ, who is your life, appears, because we know he will appear, then we will also appear with him in glory. By revealing Jesus to the world in his fullness from his birth, baptism, ministry, suffering to death, God gave us this incredible gift. God revealed Jesus, which in turn revealed the fullness of God on earth, the fullness of God set apart in the person of Jesus, who was destined to die as a sacrifice for us in order that we would know who we're meant to be. Not just an example of good values or a good person, but in order that our focus would pivot from the world around us horizontally to God vertically. Do you understand that we were part of this from the very beginning. Christ was meant to reveal God, and we are meant to reveal Christ. So as we begin to seek after God, can we begin to understand that who God might be and, and who we should be? These are huge considerations that are life-altering and absolutely transformational, but this is by design. See, identity is a gift from God. Uh, at the heart of what it means to be a Christian is to receive a new identity right, it's to receive a new identity. In Jesus, we don't lose our true selves, but we become our true selves only in him. What a difference than what the world says. The exchange that takes place here makes me think of the woman at the well. It's a perfect example, you know, when Jesus went to, through Samaria, he could have gone around Samaria, but he went through it because he wanted to meet this, he had a divine plan for this woman's life. And he meets this woman and knows more about her than she could have possibly shared. And he knows her. He sees her. And what does she do as a result of meeting Jesus? Her life is transformed. She cannot be the same again. She leaves completely different, transformed in the the light of knowing who Jesus is. And it's beautiful. Number two is this, we find new belonging in Jesus. We find new belonging in Jesus. Christ is our life not only the guarantee of life in heaven, but we also have the down payment of it by the Holy Spirit now as he lives in us. See, his joy becomes our joy, right? His love is our love. His peace, our peace. His strength, our strength. If we're honest, many of us often feel pretty insecure. Those of us who hide it best often probably feel it the most. It's certainly my case. But our insecurity, guys, is an invitation from God to escape the dangers of false beliefs about who we are and find our peace only in Him. Because it's so easy to feel insecure about things that we're trying to control. But when we've already given that control up to God, we are free from that. We are free from that. We have an assurance in the future that is promised each of us that as we shape our lives to live like Jesus did, to understand who God is, we can then begin to find real belonging. We were never meant to belong here, church. (laughs) This, This life is temporary. It has a start and it has an end. Scripture is not just a revelation of God's word to help us live better lives. It points us to the life found in Jesus, to the only life worth living. Jesus came so that we could have life and life to the full, but that fullness comes in knowing God more, not knowing our place in the world more or even how to interact with it. Why? Number three is this. You are united to Jesus. We cannot experience anything greater than the fullness of union with Christ. And I have 17 Bible verses that I'm going to read to you. I'm not going to, okay, because it's going to take you, I'll, I'll cancel all your lunch plans. But, I'll read a couple to you. John 1.12 says, "Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Wow. Romans 8.28, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Ephesians 1.7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. I love this one, John 15, 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is just an example of my fourth point. We are citizens of heaven. We are destined for more. In Christ, we we are fundamentally new and and we belong to a different way. So what does this mean for us? It means that the language and values and customs and expectations of this world should increasingly feel more comfortable to us. No, should feel foreign to us because we are not meant to belong here. They're not the things that we're to define ourselves with. We have been born again for another world, to a greater kind of existence. You have been born again to be holy, other than set apart. Paul in his writings to the church in Philippi start off in Philippians 1 with this. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul is not confident only in what God has done for you in forgiving your sins, but also what he is currently doing in you. Your identity is being formed. There's a work happening inside of you, remember? That's butterfly kind of work, you guys, right? Identity formation is the kind of impact that's, you know, impacted by a variety of different things, external and internal forces and factors like society, family, loved ones, ethnicity, media, interests, appearance, self-identity, right? Self-expression, life experiences, the list goes on and on and on. But our new identity found in Christ is revealed only when we live in the fullness of the realization of who we are to be as a Christ follower. We are to reveal Christ. That is our purpose. That is what sets us apart. See, Jesus is revealed also inside of us. I was um, recently reading the story of Pentecost, the day of Pentecost, and uh, in prepping for this message, I was studying a variety of different ideas around identity. And I came across this idea that just captivated my mind and my heart. So I'm going to share it with you today. It starts from the verse, I'm going to to read through the day of Pentecost here, but it starts with this and it says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken, right? We know the story. Now, I read this passage a number of times, and I couldn't get away from this idea. If you asked me, my initial focus would have been that there was one main thing going on, okay? that God, the Holy Spirit was coming upon the early church to empower right, to give the Great Commission, to fulfill the Great Commission that had been given by Christ in the previous chapter, this is transformation to its fullness, okay? If you want to talk about Jesus coming, living, breathing, influencing, making an impact, dying, leaving, delivering the Holy Spirit, that's transformation, okay? It's time now to act. Go. Great Commission, here it is. The stuff on the inside has now been translated to an outside work, and it's being done. But then I was, as I was studying here, I realized that there's not one, but there's two things that are happening. The Spirit of God is not doing one but two things. He's doing one thing in the church. He's stirring boldness, inspiration to go and preach the gospel of Jesus. But at the same time, out on the street, the Spirit is also doing something. He's stirring questions and curiosity in people that are about to hear. What I love, what I love about this is that you can say the one group, the church, is being prepared to speak. That makes sense. But at the same time, another group is being prepared to listen. Wow, one group is prepared to share the love of God and the gospel of Jesus and at the same time, another group is prepared to receive that message. That blew my mind. Every time we come together and do this, every time we come together and sing his praises and, and, and spend time with one another, leaning into his word and being challenged to go out and live a life worthy of what it looks like to follow Jesus, we realize that it doesn't just end here, Church. It can't just end here because the Holy Spirit is doing something powerful in your life, is doing something internally, a work that's developing inside of you. And that transformation is not to remain here. That transformation is to prepare you to step out of this place because he's preparing someone to receive it. Wow. It takes the focus off of this desperate attempt to define ourselves horizontally and instead says, God, what are you doing? And how can I be a part of it? When we make the goal for others to know Jesus through us, it's way less important that we learn our identity or identify with the way that the world defines it. It's way less important. Some of you need to hear that today. Some of you need, you know, need to understand that you can easily fall into one group or another, one opinion or another. And I believe God is saying enough. Enough. It's not about one or the other. It's about me. Do you see me? Are your eyes fixed on the world or are they fixed on me? So if God prepares us and then God is also preparing the world, then what's our our part to play? How do I know? What are we supposed to do? Realize that the Holy Spirit is with you. Jesus says in John chapter 14, this is the very first time that he goes in depth speaking to his disciples about the Holy Spirit. And uh, he says, verse 16, he says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. I find it so interesting that when Jesus first talks about the Holy Spirit who's going to come and replace him, he's he's not talking about how big and powerful and, you know, almighty this Holy Spirit's going to be. He's also not talking about how uh, of an emotional experience we'll have during worship or that we'll be brought to tears or on our knees. No, He all of those things may happen, and all of those things certainly are true. The first thing that Jesus wants you to know about the Holy Spirit is that he will never leave you. He will always be there. He will always be there. This means that there will be days when you feel his presence, and there will be days when you don't feel his presence. But he's just as much with you. Let me just clarify. The Holy Spirit is not with you because you feel him. He is with you because Jesus promised he would be. And Jesus never lies. Knowing that you're not alone should encourage all of us. That our identity is rooted in a belief that we don't have to have the answers. We are not enough, but Jesus is. And the Holy Spirit is always with us. So as we allow God to shape and transform our lives my encouragement to you today is this. Step out of your comfort zone. Step out of your comfort zone. Step out of the area that you've set up to control. As God prepares you to speak and and prepares the world to listen, because we've talked about that, we know that that's happening, in order to be truly effective, you won't be able to do it from where you're sitting. You can't do it from the comfort of your home. Your comfort zone is limiting. Why? Why? Because we control it. We control it. There's a story in Matthew chapter 14. It's an amazing story about how the 12 disciples of, of Jesus are on the boat in the Sea of Galilee. And there's a conversation um, as Jesus comes walking on the water and between Peter and Christ. And, and Jesus is saying, come to Peter. Peter's challenged with the fact that he now has to step out of the boat that he's so familiar with. Because the thing that we don't understand is that Peter's father was a fisherman. And so both of them would have had a a deep knowledge that in order to cross the Sea of Galilee, you need a boat. That's not up for debate. You need a boat. Right? Matthew 4 says he's the son of a fisherman, which knew that he knew that in order to have a life on the sea, in order to make a living, in order to do all those things, that was required. It's safe. The story spoke to me because even though there might not be a sea of Galilee around us, there's a little lake out here, but that's not it, right? Or even if we, you know, some of you maybe don't have a boat, I don't have a boat, but because the boat represents our comfort zone, the boat represents our area of security, the, the boat represents the place in which we have most control, just like Peter. It's beautiful to me that when Jesus first comes in contact with Peter, uh, when the relationship starts to build between the two, Jesus actually comes into the boat with Peter. How beautiful. Jesus comes on, on Peter, Peter's boat on Peter's terms. He's not demanding, right, that Peter will take great steps of faith. Jesus comes to Peter inside his zone of comfort, inside his zone of security, inside of his zone of control. But then as the relationship grows and emerges, there came a day when Jesus came walking on the water and says, come. There's nothing wrong with your experience. There's nothing wrong with your boat. But come. Will you trust me? There's more. Listen, as a matter of fact, in order for you to see more, you have to take a step of faith. You need to do something that you've never seen. You need to do something you've never done so that you can see something you've never seen. You need to say something you've never said before you can see something you've never seen. I don't know what your boat is right now, and I don't know where your boat is at, but I know that we're all in one. We've got our own boats, guys. And our boats are being tossed around right now. We're trying to hold it together. But I know that the Lord has better intentions. I believe with all my heart that today is the day that Jesus is out on the water saying, come, come to me. When everything inside of you wants to stay in your comfort zone and everything wants to stay in the place that you know, the place that you're familiar with, the place that you have most control. But if you dare to step out of the boat, if you dare to begin to take steps of faith, there's a miracle on the other side of that step. He's always with you. And when you are out of your comfort zone, guess what? You are in the arms of the Father. And there is no place on earth that will give you that comfort or that security or that assurance. Because Jesus needs to be revealed to the world. And you have an opportunity to be a huge part of that as you step out of your comfort zone. I'll invite the band to come now at this time. I've asked that they close us in a song that I I really do believe could become an anthem for us of the kind of life that that we want to live as we look to Jesus to define who we are. And so the song may not be familiar to all of you and that's okay, but I just invite you to just listen and then I'll come and close at the end. But what I love about this song is that it talks about the stuff that's going on on the inside, the transformational power that's happening on the inside, that translates into actual evidence that we can see that he's there, he's with us, and he loves you so much. So listen to this song.
2: all throughout history your faithfulness has walked beside me the winter storms made way for spring in every season from where I'm standing I see the evidence of your goodness All over my life All over my life I see promises in fulfillment All over my life All over my life Help me remember When I'm weak Fear may come fear will lead you lead my heart to victory you are my strength and you always will be I see the evidence of your goodness all over my I see the promises in fulfillment all over my life all over my life I see the evidence of your goodness all over my life all over my life and I see your promises in fulfillment all over See the cross, the empty grave, the evidence is endless. All my sin rolled away because of you, oh Jesus. See the cross, the empty grave, the evidence is endless. All my sin rolled away because of you, oh Jesus. Good.
0: song such a good song I'd I'd like to invite you to stand with me if you would I just want to encourage you that your identity who you are is meant to reveal Christ and be revealed by knowing him more guys we have so much in our world that pulls our focus away so much that easily distracts but it's really so simple know christ more he'll reveal you to you <laughs> i love this song i love that it reminds us of where to look our weakness becomes his strength our fear becomes his confidence i don't know where you're going to go when christ lee asks you to leave your boat but i know that it, there's a miracle on the other side waiting for each of you and i know that something powerful is going to happen in your life something transformational is going to happen in your life as a result of stepping out and trusting him with the changes, with the things that are happening inside of you in order so that someone else might receive. He loves you. He desires the very best for you. He wants nothing but for you to leave today knowing the fullness of who he is so that you can be assured of who you are. Can I pray for you today? Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning needing more of you in every area of our lives. God, in the areas of our lives where we desire to control things, where we desire to have them under our thumb, God, I pray today that there would be a release. I, fe- I pray today, God, that the pressure would come off. God, that the need to carry the burdens would come away, Father. I pray that your Holy Spirit would just urge each and every one of us, remind us today, God, that you are present, that you are with us, that you've sent the comfort of the Holy Spirit to be with us, God, until the return of your Son. God, I pray today for each and every person here that they would be challenged but also encouraged to know the love, the power, the strength, the hope, the joy, and the peace of the Father. With our eyes closed, I just want to ask if anybody wants to make a decision to follow the Lord today with this kind of transformational power, would you raise your hand if that's you? Thank you. You know, if you're at a point in your life today where this is a decision that you want to make, I'm going to ask that everybody just repeat after me. Dear God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for knowing me before I knew you. Father, where I'm weak, I need your strength. Where I fall short, I pray you lift me up. I give you my life and ask that you lead me today. Amen. Let's give the Lord a round of applause today. Yeah, God is so good. We are so fortunate that we get to gather in a place together and be encouraged and I am so excited for the impact that I know is going to happen as a result of you leaving today because guys, the Holy Spirit has been working in someone outside of this building today. So keep your eyes open and your heart available.